0: Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. It's been a year since the COVID-19 pandemic changed our lives forever. Nearly 2 million Floridians have tested positive for coronavirus. More than 32,000 have died. The state's number one industry, tourism, ground to a halt. Schools went virtual. Many people lost their jobs and are still looking for work. With the arrival of vaccines, hopefully the end of the pandemic is in sight. On today's show, we look at COVID-19's impact on Florida. First, let's get an update on how the state is fighting the pandemic. From Health News Florida editor, Julio Ochoa. So Julio, it's been over a year since the uh, first cases of, of coronavirus were detected in Florida. Where are we at right now in terms of this pandemic affecting the state?
1: Well, the virus is still spreading through Florida and really around the country. A year ago, I don't think that anyone would have imagined that things would have gotten this bad. Um, we're still seeing thousands of cases a day and, and uh, over 100 cases a day just in Florida. But the good news is we, we have multiple vaccines now, three vaccines that have been approved By the FDA, and they are reaching the most vulnerable populations. So we're starting to see the numbers of cases and deaths decrease. So that's been good news.
0: We get daily updates from the Florida Department of Health on cases, on tests, on deaths, hospitalizations. How accurate is that data?
1: Well, for the most part, the, the wealth of data that the state releases every day is, is accurate, or at least we, we believe it is. Um, it's the best information that they have at the time it's released. You know, there are some discrepancies uh, from time to time in the number of deaths. Sometimes we see, uh, you know, negative numbers of deaths in certain counties. You know, they say that all the information they release every day is preliminary. So sometimes they have to update that throughout the week. And uh, and maybe some of the deaths that they believed happened on one day can't be attributed to COVID-19. So they have to add those people back. Would we like more data? Sure. I mean, I think uh, there have been lots of people calling for for more data. And in some cases, the media has even sued for that information.
0: Let's go back to vaccines for a second. There has been some confusion over who is eligible to get uh, vaccinations. We've also seen a little bit of disconnect between the vaccine guidance that's coming from federal officials and uh, the vaccine guidance that we're getting from, uh, from the state and from Governor uh, Ron DeSantis's office. Why is that?
1: Well, the governor has his way of, of doing it, and, and he's been adamant about uh, vaccinating seniors first. And early on, he made a, a, you know very few exceptions to that, such as healthcare workers. Um, and then you have President Joe Biden, who is is really looking at other groups that that have high exposure and could be at risk. Um, for example, teachers. So um, President Biden has directed states to vaccinate all K through 12 teachers, regardless of age. And DeSantis didn't follow that direction. He has only opened it to K through 12 teachers, 50 and over. But he didn't stop teachers of all ages from being vaccinated at federally run sites. So he's allowing the federal sites to vaccinate teachers of all ages. And so that's like sites like like Tampa's FEMA sites or some of the pharmacies that are taking part in the federal pharmacy program like Walmart and CVS. So they, I guess there's some confusion around that. Like if you're a teacher, you don't know which one of these sites you can go to. You're not exactly sure how old you have to be to go to a site. Um so it takes a little research to actually understand but I mean the bottom line is they're trying to get shots in arms they just have a different way of going about it.
0: So President Biden has said he wants to uh he wants states to open up uh their vaccine availability to uh to all adults by May 1st. That doesn't mean everybody will be vaccinated by then but at least people can can be in line by May 1st to get their shots. What does that mean in terms of uh, of reaching some kind of form of herd immunity and uh, really kind of getting to a point where we can say, okay, we're reaching the end of this, uh, this COVID pandemic?
1: I mean, that's exciting news, right? I mean, to be eligible to get a vaccine um, is what we all want, um, and we're starting to see uh, some county sites opening the registration process to everyone. I actually went on um, at the end of last week to my county site and the, the state site and, and signed up. And so I'm on a waiting list, you know, whenever it's my turn, when they start to open vaccines to me, um, my age group or or my my uh, profession, then I'll be able to get about, I'll be on that waiting list to get a vaccine. So hopefully they'll contact me. It is taking some time as expected to distribute the vaccine to the population. Early on, we struggled with having enough vaccines to give out. And then there were long waits and problems getting registered. Uh, Now that's kind of slowed down and and we're seeing some sites not distributing all the vaccines they have on hand every day Um, And, you know, that's a problem, too, because you want to get these shots in in arms as quickly as possible. So, you know, what you asked about herd immunity, some estimate that um, it'll take 75 to 80 percent of the population will need to get vaccinated before we reach some sort of herd immunity. Um, And right now, Florida has has vaccinated about 2.1 million people fully have received uh, full vaccination. Um, So Florida has 21 million people. That's about 10% of Florida's population. So we have a long ways to go to get to that 75, 80%.
0: What about the vaccine getting to to vulnerable communities, especially I'm thinking here of communities of color that have have really borne the brunt of the pandemic that are already dealing with health disparities? What have the the efforts been like to reach uh, people in those communities?
1: people in those communities have been harder to reach. Um, They have not signed up to, uh, or haven't been able to sign up to go to some of these large vaccination sites as easily as, as white people have um, for whatever reason, you know, there may be uh, internet access issues. There may be, they don't have time to spend on a computer all day to try and get one of these coveted uh, reservations. So, um and maybe they they just see that there's there's issues we've been hearing from some people that say, you know I saw that there was issues early on so I I didn't even try so the counties have really had to get inventive to reach these people um you know they've been holding special uh, vaccination pop up sites at at churches Porter Stephanie Colombini has reported on. Uh, the county actually going out to um, senior homes um, where where a lot of uh, people of color live and trying to vaccinate people that way, um, but they're learning that yes we have to we have to go reach out to these people um, otherwise they may not get vaccinated in the way that, that large portions of the population are. Um, and that's important because unless we reach that herd immunity, it, what it ta- was going to take to reach that herd immunity is, is to get everyone vaccinated. And we're going to still have a lot of deaths in a lot of cases and, unless we can reach the entire population. So we're going to have to find more ways to get into these communities and get them vaccinated. Just looking
0: at the pandemic overall, we've heard a lot about so-called long-haul COVID patients. How does the uh, picture look for them in Florida?
1: These cases are still somewhat of a mystery. um, Why some people get uh, COVID nineteen and then easily um, recover from it or recover from it in a week or two, and then you have some that are still dealing with symptoms months later. And you know there have been improvements in, in medications and treatments. But yeah, that's the big fear, you know, if, if you were to get COVID-19, will you be someone that, that ends up with still symptoms six months later? Um, luckily, the cases are, are not as prevalent as other cases of COVID-19, but they are, there are still people who are dealing with this in Florida, and it's a problem.
0: So we've got vaccines, we have therapeutics now, antibodies and, and things that can treat really severe symptoms. Doctors understand the virus better. Um, so where do we go from here in terms of, of getting this, uh, this pandemic under control?
1: You know, it's, it's all about vaccinating people. Um, they are really making a huge push. And unfortunately, you are seeing, you know, some people not returning to uh, sites for their second vaccination. Um, we're hearing that that's been a problem recently. You're seeing people cancel their their or not show up for their when they register to get vaccinated. So um, it's really important to to get as much of the population vaccinated as we can. And what that's going to take is when it's your turn, when your it's your age group or your profession that gets called to do it, don't hesitate. Um, sign up and get a vaccination because um, there's people behind you that are waiting. To get vaccinated. So you need to go as quickly as possible and, and get vaccinated so that others may uh, get in line to do the same.
0: All right. Julio, great talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bradley. Julio Ochoa is editor of Health News Florida. This is Florida Matters. The show continues in just a moment. You're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. For students from kindergarten through college, the past year has been like no other. Graduation ceremonies were canceled, classes moved online, and many first-year college students spent their first semester at home. Last year, we spoke with Anna Lynn Winfrey. She's a senior at New College of Florida in Sarasota, and she's editor-in-chief of the campus newspaper, The Catalyst we decided it would be a good time to check back in with her. So uh, starting off, Annalyn, are you are you in Sarasota right now?
2: Yeah, I'm living off campus in Sarasota, about a 15-minute bike ride, five-minute car ride from campus.
0: So overall, what's the past year been like for you?
2: Well, um, it's been a lot. Most of my classes, no, all of my classes have been um, remote. And I know some other students have had in-person classes, like for labs and stuff like that. And there are some classes that are being held outside, but still all my classes have just been online. And it's, it's been kind of lonely. Fortunately, I'm, I'm a fourth year, so I have a, a solid group of friends that I've, that I've known, but I can't imagine how difficult it must be right now for first years who are just coming to campus and don't know people. And it's, it's really difficult to meet new people
1: yeah
0: and I guess the sort of the added thing with, uh, with new college too, right is that you know part of the experience is that it's small classes and that there's a lot of interaction between students and faculty. And I imagine in a virtual environment that's going to be pretty difficult to achieve that same kind of level of, uh, of intimacy with learning than, than you would with an in-person class.
2: For sure. I mean, all my seminars are on Zoom now, and any kind of online class has the inherent awkwardness of having to unmute yourself and go and then someone else starts talking, you, you're like, wait a second, what? But it's been rough. I, I'm glad that I'm, I'm in this having had a quote unquote normal experience for three years because I feel like I'm able to navigate that. And I feel very comfortable reaching out to my professors if I have trouble on an assignment or need to talk to them during office hours. But that's because I, I have the experience of having gone to their office hours in the past. And um, so that must be difficult for newer students. But I hope that with vaccines rolling out and everything, their administrators are saying that things might return to, again, quote unquote, normal in the fall. So we'll see what happens.
0: Do you feel like your your professors have done a good job of providing a, a decent experience in terms of virtual classes? How, how do you feel that they've they've adapted?
2: Absolutely. I think my professors have done an outstanding job. I mean, if anything, college classes are a little bit more adept to being able to be done virtually than K through 12, because, you know, the students are older, the the learning format, we're, we're more comfortable with using the technology. And, you know, there were some blips along the way, but I mean, they're also going through processing the collective trauma of a global pandemic and still giving them 110% to their jobs. So I cannot thank my faculty and professors enough for uh, what they've done throughout the pandemic.
0: How do you feel about how New College, just in general, is, is uh, dealing with, you know, safety and health concerns? If there, Have there been many cases on campus? How is the school dealing with that, do you think?
2: That's a great question, and that's been the focus of a lot of our reporting um, on the Catalyst. Um, I think the school in general has done a, a pretty darn good job given the resources that they have. Like, they have um, done Sentinel uh, random testing throughout the semester and um, throughout the fall and continuing through the spring. And now starting in the spring, it's being offered to anyone who just wants to walk up and get a COVID test. Um, Now that's just once a week, but it's still something that the school is paying for and providing. Another thing that has been a little bit of a mixed bag is the quarantining procedures for on-campus students, because if they test positive or if someone whom as the CDC defines as a close contact test positive then um, usually they've had to go into a mandatory two-week quarantine or they also have the option to go um, and quarantine off campus wherever. But it's been a little bit of a mixed bag and we've uh, run a couple stories about this throughout the semester on the Catalyst as well. But some students have complained about miscommunications between the USF health system because New College contracts our our health service through USF still and uh, miscommunications with them and then the New College administration and also issues with the quarantining conditions because they're in this little box of a room and they, they're not allowed to open any windows um, or obviously go outside for two weeks and um, issues with the food as well. Sometimes it, it's come cold and uh, not very yummy, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that housing and student affairs staff are doing their best given the terrible circumstances that we're living in.
0: What about extracurricular activities? Um, Have there been many opportunities for that?
2: There's been some casual sport clubs that have sprung up and um, have continued that were already existing before the pandemic. Like volleyball is pretty popular um, and also like swim club is still going. So there are some extracurricular activities that are still meeting in person outside and distance and everything. There are also quite a few clubs that have shifted to 100% online operations like um, the Computer Science Club and also um, Anarchy Death Sticks, our knitting and crocheting club is also 100% online now. So it's it's mixed. There, In general, there have been a couple more um, events done on campus this semester. Like for example, New College usually has this really big party, formerly known as the Palm Court Party and now known as the Center of the Universe Party that was held in person in February. And that was really nice because it was outside, everybody wore masks and um, we got to dance for the first time in almost a year and see people that we hadn't seen for almost a year outside. And that's another thing too, is that at New College, every I feel like most people understand that they're a part of a greater community. And so mask wearing has been really, really good. Like it's very rare to go on campus and see somebody outside not wearing a mask. I mean, aside from in the dining hall where... At small tables, three students are allowed to sit and eat together. Far and away, like it's it's very reassuring to go on campus and see how many people are wearing masks and following guidelines.
0: You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that you're, you're getting ready to graduate. And I guess this, this kind of final semester for you, it's kind of a surreal experience. How have you kind of dealt with that?
2: Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember talking with uh, my friend who's also graduating with me this spring, Um, and we were talking over the summer about how, you know, the class of 2020 got a lot of love because their last two months of the college experience were really disruptive, but then she was like, you know what, like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be that plus a whole year for us, Um, and so I've just tried to go with this year not feeling, not feeling bummed out about all the things that could have been happening, and instead being happy about the things that I do have, and I have a close group of a couple friends that I've been seeing like masked of course and outside but just just the small things that that can make me happy versus feeling sad about the things that can't be because of the pandemic and I I it took me a while to process that I I definitely cried a lot um last spring realizing that my college experience is never going to be the same again but I don't know I'm I'm very hopeful for the future and I hope that new college students will be able to rebuild that community and will be able to do the things that I so savored so much over the nearly three years that were, you know, quote unquote, normal, right? So I really hope that the the community will be able to come together in the future and rebuild from this terrible tragedy.
0: Do you know yet if you'll have a traditional commencement ceremony in person, or will it be more of a virtual type thing?
2: The administration is still working that out. I know there's discussions of either having something at the Bay, um, which has been the traditional venue of for graduating. But with that, like we wouldn't be able to invite friends and family. There's also potentially discussion of graduating from a baseball field so that we would be able to have friends and family ticketed and like socially distanced out together and also still have all the students and faculty. But... Um, everything is still up in the air. Nothing has been decided definitively.
0: Well, Anna Lynn, thanks so much for talking with us. Best of luck to you. Hopefully the remainder of 2021 will be uh, maybe a little bit more normal than the the past 12 months have been.
2: I sure hope so. Thank you so much.
0: That was Anna Lynn Winfrey. She's a senior at New College of Florida and editor-in-chief of The Catalyst, the campus newspaper. Devandra Amin is a critical care doctor at BayCare's Morton Plant Hospital in Clearwater. We heard from him last fall when he shared his experience getting COVID-19 just as the pandemic started shutting down much of Florida. Amin described being a patient in his own ICU and how his colleagues helped him recover with little knowledge of how to tackle the virus. Now he tells us about how life at the hospital has been since.
3: It's been a long, hard Several months with the waxing and waning of the numbers, just as you think things are getting better, unfortunately, people were very quick to relinquish their guard, maybe open up the economy too quickly sometimes, causing the secondary and then the third uh, waves that we had, surges that we've had. But we've learned how to cope with that, and certainly as a system, we've been able to cope with that very well in terms of managing the extra numbers. The difficulty has been that we've learned over the last year that a lot of the drugs we started with just really have no significant benefit and may even be harmful. So we're left with basically supportive care, oxygen, steroids, and possibly the newer antivirals that might be of benefit, remdesivir data was weak, probably uh, convalescent plasma also. Unfortunately, a young man, probably about three or four months ago, was very sick. We moved very quickly to do ECMO, itches, uh, extracorporeal lung support. You basically have an artificial lung working for you while his own lungs are not working. Uh, Young, healthy, no other significant medical history, very sick, very quickly. Unfortunately, even after about two to three months, we're not able to help him. That was just, just such a horrible thing to see in a young patient. We're all very vulnerable. We're all still very vulnerable. And um, it's just uh, luck of the draw how things happen when you get through this illness. You know. It's frustrating. There has been a significant toll. Certainly internationally and nationally, the amount of burnout that we've seen is significant. And when I think everybody has done a phenomenal job sacrificing themselves, their bodies and spirit to taking care of people. Uh, which I think everybody does day in, day out, but it's particularly taxing when you know that you've, you're dealing with a disease that can, if not kill you, certainly certainly debilitate you for a significant amount of time. It's, you know, it truly is uh, people who do this, and specifically, I'd say, the nursing staff and the ancillary staff who are respiratory therapy who are in the rooms for far longer than we are. Uh, it's just amazing how selfless they are in actually taking care of patients day in, day out. Everybody's been overworked, overstressed, and they've just managed it beautifully. I mean, I think a lot of it's internalized, and we have to do better at helping people cope with that. But on the whole, I think the support has been very good. We got vaccinated um, early February or late January when we first had them available to us. Uh, had the Pfizer vaccine. had significant uh, symptoms of fatigue and uh, muscle aches and pains, just lack of energy the day after. Second vaccine, no trouble whatsoever. It's fine. I think it's pretty much one day at a time right now. I think there's a level of optimism that we may be through as the numbers, specifically as the numbers are going down, but I don't think we're letting down our guard at this point. You know, 95% is 95%, it's not 100%. So even though the efficacy is great, there's still a risk of getting an infection as mild as it would be. And it's not so much your issue anymore, but you're transmitting it to somebody else. It's going to be tough getting back to normal. And um, hopefully, As we get more and more vaccinated, that might become easier and safe.
0: That was Dr. Devandra Amin talking about living through a year of the pandemic. This audio postcard was produced by Health News Florida reporter Stephanie Colombini. Live music was hit hard by the pandemic, as shutdown orders and social distancing forced many venues to close. Crowbar in Ybor City recently reopened with reduced capacity. We spoke with owner Tom DeGeorge last summer. When I called him up yesterday, he said he was happy to be open again, but he says there's a long road ahead for his business. I know that uh, Crowbar is having uh, having shows again right now. What has that been like? What kind of precautions are you taking to uh, to keep your guests and your uh, and your musicians safe and healthy?
4: You know, shortly after we were allowed to get open, I think the governor said venues could open in September. And then shortly after that, for whatever reason, he just completely ripped off the Band-Aid for our state. And so, you know, I made the decision with a few other business owners to start that safe and sound program. And we've only been operating at 25% capacity maximum, um, masks required inside and um, social distancing permitted. Um, And we've been doing that since then. I'm going to continue to do that until the CDC guidelines become a little less um, restrictive. And and I believe that's coming very soon.
0: So what is, uh, even with that, that 25% cap, what is, uh, what, what's turnout been like for your, uh, for your shows since you started back up?
4: They've been decent, but the whole thing is until you truly solve the problem of the pandemic, you can say whatever you want, people are not going to want to go out. There's no consumer confidence until people believe that they are that their health is not going to be at risk or they're going to affect someone else. And then on top of that, when you try to open, if you if you want to do restrictions and stuff like that, you put yourself under the scrutiny of the consumer base that doesn't understand why you are doing that or or feels like you should be letting more people in. Um, but the general population, some people just don't understand the liability insurance issues that, that venues deal with. And the, the simple fact of the matter is, you know, when you're working with a national organization like the National Independent Venue Association and also have talked to my own insurance, I realize that, that that's an issue and that's and that we cannot um, operate in a way um, until the time is right, regardless of what the governor of any individual state says, but I, I believe that those changes are, are coming soon. We, we, um, we have all different types of committees with NEVA and we also have a reopening committee and we're hoping to get, um, we've been reaching out to the uh, CDC and asking them for clarification of what they believe will be a reasonable time after people are permitted to get shots. Um, once it's available to every single American um, at that point, you can go get the shot and, and, you know, if you want to come to a show, you can go get the shot. You know, um, if you don't, it's still your personal decision. I think that there's going to be a time frame that they'll set where the liability exits from the business and goes more towards the consumer. I think that time's coming soon.
0: Well, uh, Tom, thanks uh, for, for checking in with us and best of luck to you. Hopefully the, the next few months are, are, are better than this last year has been.
4: Thank you so much.
0: That was Tom DeGeorge, owner of Crowbar in Ybor City. And that's our show for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for
1: listening to Florida Matters. And I hope you'll join us again next week.